The Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. The community forest that foamed along the back fence was still and deep. Some days, the trees there looked hemmed in by the neighbourhood. Other days, like today, it seemed like they were bursting outward, forcing back the fences and the lawns and the houses to make way. A lot of kids Tracy's age used Wild Place as a shortcut. There was a concrete laneway on Novak Street where the 781 bus stopped. Cutting through the bush rather than walking all the way around would shave off precious minutes. If Tracy had run away, there was a good chance she'd gone that way. If someone snatched her, they'd probably have used the bushland to their advantage too. Had that place been properly searched? Tom was a naturally restless person. Connie had the incredible ability to just be. The kids did too, from what he could tell. But Tom's mind was always buzzing. Maybe Kieran was right. Maybe he needed to see a professional. Or maybe he was just a realist. After all, life and happiness, all that good stuff, didn't stick around forever. Everything was temporary. Tom was always watching for the canary in the coal mine. Then again, wasn't that what fathers were supposed to do? He checked his watch. The day was still young. It wouldn't hurt to go and take a look around Wild Place. He'd be back in time to fix a tap before Connie got home. Maybe he'd find a clue. Maybe he'd find a body. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Christian White is an author, screenwriter and producer. His debut novel, The Nowhere Child, won the 2017 Wheeler Centre Victorian Premier's Literary Award. His second novel, The Wife and the Widow, became an instant bestseller and was shortlisted for the 2020 Indie Book Awards for Best Fiction. Christian has also written for the screen, including the television series Clickbait and the feature film Relic, which premiered at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival and was nominated for Best Feature Film at the Australian Writers Guild Awards. But today I'm talking to Christian about his latest novel, Wild Place. Christian, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm excited. Your writing suggests uh, you have a fondness for suburbia. This Keel Street, Camp Hill, seems to be peaceful enough. Uh, But uh, since we seem to be living in the age of bubbles, I wondered, is Camp Hill a perfect bubble, uh, a snow globe of existence, as I think you're right, or just a perfect setting for a terrible crime? There's something to me very, very creepy, I guess, about about suburbia and about this sort of artificial kind of atmosphere in suburbia where everyone's nice and everyone's going about their business and everyone is sort of um, living their little lives. But like like everywhere and like everyone, there's, um, you know, the old cliche about the, the onion has layers. I think suburbia has layers and layers and layers and because it's populated by people at the end of the day but there's something about this artificial safety that i i find really really intriguing and and for me when i think about suburbia i think about you know my childhood you know growing up as a teenager living on the mornington peninsula in the suburbs which is you know wild places set in camp hill which is a fictional place but it's very much drawn from mornington mount martha all these places i grew up as a kid so i think that when I think about being a kid, I, I feel this sort of things like stranger danger and all of those sort of things sort of all go into the blender. There's something about just ordinary places that creep me out. You know, I like stories about serial killers, of course, like everyone, but there's something about an evil monster getting innocent people that is sort of boring in, in a way, in a weird sort of way. And to me, what's always been more interesting are these 
ordinary characters, these people you walk past that that might do something horrible for reasons you might not agree with, but you can almost empathize with. I've got a, I've got a mild obsession with the, the idea of suburbia and and it's and how it's just plain creepy. I actually think I share that obsession, and it just made me think about the suburb I live in. We think we know everybody, but we don't really know everybody. You live in close proximity with all these people that you don't really. Everyone's got their little secrets, and um, when you're a, a crime writer and a crime reader, you see the world through this filter. If any of my neighbours listen to this, I apologise, but I'm you know sort of suspicious about everyone and. You, know, you can watch your neighbor's house and get a really good sense of their routine and who they are. But then when your brain starts to wander like me, you think, oh, what else are they up to? You know, I, I remember growing up as a kid, our next door neighbor, we called her Mean Jean, even though she was really nice. Her name just happened to be Jean. But her husband, his name escapes me now, they had a big work shed in the back. And he, this husband was in the work shed. I mean, midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and there was just this, all this clanging, and it was very easy to think, you know, what the hell is he doing in there? Is, is he building some sort of death machine? Is he got, you know, is he a serial killer? And that's sort of where my brain goes. So I think, and I think a lot of people are like that. There's something about um, looking over your neighbor's fence and, yeah, wondering what, 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 what are their secrets? I'm sounding like the creep now, really. <laughs> all perfectly normal. Wild Place is set in 1989 and on the eve of the 90s, and it's littered with a whole string of cultural references. The Sega Master System, that's something I haven't heard for a while. A Streets Viennetta <laughs> cut into large slices. Parachute Pants, <laughs> Ghostbusters, Motley Crue. What's your relationship with the 80s? I was born in 81, so I was sort of, um, you know, still still very young. But my memories of childhood are all around late, late 80s, early 90s. So, you know, I think it's how certain decades are romanticized by certain generations. I think that the fifties were sort of romanticized by a certain generation for a long time. And I think now we're seeing that happen with the eighties. I think, um, you know, things like stranger things and, and all, all of these kind of this content coming out that, that romanticizes the eighties and for good or bad, you know, it was a time for me when way before internet, before mobile phones, you would just go out and, as a kid and just go and hang out with your friends, have no contact with you, but as long as you were back by a certain time then no one would even notice. But there was also stitched into that memory for me of the eighties is I remember mum telling me, I'm sure they weren't true, these stories, but she thought they were true. She would have heard a story from a friend of a friend about, uh, you know, a kid that got kidnapped from here. And, and, and so there was those sort of things as well. You've got to, you can go out and be free and wild, but you've got to be careful of strangers. So there was this sort of, danger to that time as well um there was an innocent time and and it was in a dangerous time but in the late 80s and early 90s it sort of mass hysteria spread throughout the world america specifically um but it, it came to australia and the uk as well where all of a sudden everyone was scared of satanists and satanic cults and they were worried that kids were getting brainwashed through heavy metal music and all of that sort of stuff so that's really really interesting to me and i um but, you know, over the last two years, we've seen conspiracy theories gone wild, you know, with people worried about the COVID vaccine and, and, and even before that, QAnon and people saying Hillary Clinton is drinking children's blood and all, all of these insane things. Uh, I was kind of tied up with all that and, and obsessed with that. And I was trying to figure out why do people believe these things? What's going on there? And I, and I knew I wanted to sort of write about that but it wasn't until I realized oh what we're experiencing now is just an evolution of satanic panic back in the day where there there's this sort of people are scared so 
their standards of evidence drop. You know, so you you do start believing, well, maybe, yeah, maybe Satanists are trying to kill my kid, you know. So it was sort of a way of exploring all of that. I wanted to set up this really idyllic world and then in the center of that, you know, put uh, Tom, this school teacher who who's really just got too much time on his hands and and sort of taps into that paranoia, which I think so many people are doing now. And I sort of wanted to explore that, but within this, like you say, this safe little bubble of a, of a place and a time. Well, that actually brings me to Tom, Tom Witter, the character. Tom is a, quite a conflicted character. You know, he teaches at a Christian school, but he's questioning his religion. Uh, he lives in suburbia, but he's very aware of its shortcomings, and he's dealing with some bad memories from his own school days. He drives a Sigma. I haven't heard that for a while. <laughs> and he <laughs> encounters an old school flame, Detective Sharon Guffrey, in the process of investigating this uh, crime, the disappearance of Tracy Reed. Uh, and he's also um, facing the challenges of parenthood. He's a, he's a very real and complex character. What are his origins? Firstly, I wanted to write a male protagonist because... The protagonists in both my previous books were female, so I wanted to kind of mix it up a bit. And then I really started, I just wanted him to be utterly average, you know, and, and I wanted to him to be this the typical, um, you know, middle-aged suburbanite. Um, and, then, and then making him a teacher was partly I wanted him to have a pre-existing connection to Tracy when she goes missing. So he, he taught her for a year. So he knows her. She's a local girl and he's taught her. So I want him to have a loose connection there. But my mum was a school teacher and my sister's a school teacher. So I, I you know, I, I try to draw on as much of what I know as well. And, and then really what I did is I, I took parts of my both my parents and kind of merged them into this, this character who's kind of, um, you know, goofy and dorky and, uh, I, I don't know, just likeable and, um, and safe. And, you know, the, the whole question of the book was um, why do good people do bad things? And, you know, early on I'll often have a word or a question or a phrase that I'll put on a post-it and stick up somewhere near my desk. And whenever I'm sort of feeling a bit stagnant, I always go back to it and, and, and so think what is this story about? And that's really helpful. So I, I, had, I came up with that really early on. So I wanted just this kind of outwardly you just think he's a normal good guy and I wanted to I knew I wanted to push him to some very, you know, without going to spoilers, I wanted to push him to some really dark places. Um, and, and, and I think, honestly, I put a bit of myself in there. For the first time ever, I think there's three, three male characters in this book. You know, there's a, a teenager called Kieran, uh, another teenager, you know, he's, he's Tom's son, another teenager who's a bit older, Sean, who is kind of the neighbourhood goth who, who, you know, Tom comes to suspect. Uh, and then there's Tom, this middle-aged dude, and I think that for all three of those, I I drew on parts of myself more than any other book, actually. So there's there's a little bit of me, quite a lot of me in Tom as well, I think, just this sort of, because in some ways I'm just a boring, dorky guy. And I think that's what I wanted to tap into. There's another thing that I feel is almost like a character, and that is the wild place. And the wild place is this strip of bushland behind the, these rows of houses. And it, it's almost like a menacing character, like an evil presence as much um, a character as the people there. Was that the case? Did this story grow out of Wild Place? Yeah, really, really early on, I had this very strong idea about Wild Place. And so the way it's set up in the book, there's this community forest, there's this big patch of really dense bushland hemmed in by houses and hemmed in by a neighbourhood, you know. So there's something, there's some sort of tension there already between this safe, structured nature of suburbia compared to this wild little patch of land you know buzzing with wild, wildlife 
but that was also based on a few a few things from my childhood you know at the end of my street we had growing up we had an empty paddock and in that empty paddock there was this one corner of that was just thick bushland it was this one corner really really small but there was something so scary every time I walked past it I would think who's in there what's happening and of course because it's suburbia there's all these urban legends about it and my brother told me that there was a murderer who lived in there who dressed as a clown and came out and cut kids up and and all so all of that sort of um stuff was there and then as an adult my my mother-in-law lives in a place called Mount Eliza and right across the street from her house there's what's called the secret passage and it's very similar to wild place it cuts between these two houses and then there's this huge interior lot there's trees in there but it's much more open but there's there was something I don't know this is something about those places that there's all these legends associated with that and there's, there's just an inherent I think we're all inherently scared of forests you know the, all the best fairy tales are all about dark forests and there's something really scary about that and I really wanted that to sort of um represent Tom's paranoia you know like even though he's in this really safe spot there's this stone there's this little wild stone that he can't get past you know he's just paranoid he's always waiting and um I really like the idea of, of something like that being appealing when you move in and then it's right behind your house this forest and oh, it's beautiful but then you spend your first night at the house and then it's dark and it's and then suddenly it's spooky and then suddenly you think what's in there and did we do the right thing by moving here and there's something about that that um that I really responded to very very early it was usually how my my ideas form is I'll get a um I'll get a hook really early on and and sort of a theme or an idea you know so it was um I I knew it was going to be about satanic panic and a, and a neighborhood watch you know I, I knew it had something to do with neighborhood watch I didn't know what that was but along with those two things was this was this wild place. It didn't have a name then, but it was this community forest that um, I was going to use somehow. I didn't know how. but yeah. uh, That wild place really, for me, gave this book a sense not of crime fiction but of a mystery rather than simply a mm. crime, uh, which makes it much more unpredictable and, and less, I guess, generic. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good description or not. That sense of mystery that leads me onto my final question, which is it's one of the books where I want to tell all the readers kind of what happens, but in a sense, I can't tell them what happens because there's a lot of unanswered questions in Wild Place. It doesn't fully resolve. So I want to ask you, what's what's the deal with leaving the reader hanging like that? The ending is um, ambiguous. And, and it, I think that it ties up a certain amount, but it leaves one question and there are clues to the answer to that question, um, but it is left ambiguous. Um, actually, early on, it had a very different ending. It had a really, a, a quite a neat ending. And then somewhere along the way, I wanted to um, just to kind of play with that. And there's an epilogue that turns that ambiguous ending to a, into a less ambiguous ending. It still doesn't tie everything up, but it, it really gives you a clue as to the true answer. And I went back and forth about whether I wanted to include that, um, you know, that, that epilogue. Um, and ultimately, I did be because I I want to give the reader enough. You know, um, some of my favourite finales in TV shows are those ambiguous ones. So slight spoilers for Sopranos and Mad Men, but they both end with this really ambiguous ending that at first you can read it and think, oh, that's a bit annoying, but then you think about it and all the answers are there and all the clues are there and it's, it's something really satisfying. Well, for me, one of the marks of a good book is is that thing where some of it's left up to the reader's imagination. It's, it's not all tied down, and that's something I really enjoyed about this book. 
Christian. So thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, um, been lovely. been a blast. I've been talking to Christian White about his latest book, Wild Place. It's published by Affirm Press and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.